Thanks for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I am really delighted to bring my next guest. Her name is Joanne Williams. She is a licensed clinical social worker and, um, and has been in the business for a really long time. Although you would never know that, um, she uh, has such a, a bright, vibrant um, smile and youthfulness about her. And um, in our conversation, we spoke all about her practice uh, which integrates helping people um, get certified to have an emotional support animal or a psychiatric service dog. And one of the things that I felt really shined through um, in her sharing about this is how compassionate she is for her clients and um, how much she recognizes that that those animals are an important part of their treatment and their recovery and their like maintenance of their health and well-being and um, I asked her a lot of questions about you know how does one learn like what the regulations are and how to go about doing this work because I know for me when people have asked me to do that I experience anxiety around it because I'm you know it's not my area of expertise and um, while I may think that it would be beneficial for the client um, I, I I've still just approached it with a lot of hesitancy um, but I I appreciated how she broke it down and simplified it. And um, yeah, so I, I hope that you find this conversation helpful to you in knowing how to navigate that. Or if you ever have somebody asking you about, hey, can you write a letter for me for an emotional service dog or a psychiatric service dog? And you have a potential place to um, refer as well. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative-focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I'm delighted to welcome my next guest. She is a licensed clinical social worker, and her name is Joanne Williams, and she has helped thousands of clients in over her 30 years as a licensed mental health professional to move from fear to fulfillment as she shares simple and immediately effective ways to calm anxiety, tension, and worry. She specializes in certifying clients for 
an emotion, emotional support animal and or a psychiatric service animal and finds that these can be a game changer for those struggling to navigate today's daunting times with anxiety or depression. They can keep their animals with them in housing by law and fly with a psychiatric service dog with today's new regulations, as well as go with them anywhere um, and help them to feel reassured and calmed. She's also an international podcast host of the Anxiety Simplified podcast, and you can listen to that on iTunes, or you can check it out on her website, anxietysimplified.net. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about how you got involved in um, really specializing in the work of emotional support animals and, and psychiatric service animals, because it's a real specialized niche that a lot of us that, you know, don't really understand, even though we might get asked to do that kind of work. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and I kind of fell into it, so to speak. <laughs> I, I, I was flying and I had a little dog with me that was not an emotional support animal. And we were, it was a bad flight and he was having a hard time. He was making me anxious. We were both just a kind of a wreck. And I kept taking them out of the bag and putting them on my lap. And then the stewards, no, you got to put them back under. And so finally, the nice flight attendant told me, do you know about this program for having an emotional support animal that you could have on your lap the entire time? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> so I went home and I researched it. And I looked at at that point, there was two laws around emotional support animals. And, so, and here I was a therapist at that point for 20 something years and I didn't even know about these two laws and what was required. So of course, then once I found out a bit about it, I told clients and it just seemed to kind of snowball from there um, is the way it started for me. Wow, okay. So um, is there specialized training that as a therapist kind of specializing in this niche and helping people to meet the legal requirements to have an emotional support animal or psychiatric um, service animal mm -hmm. uh, that you have to take? You know, there isn't that I know of. Mm -hmm. And I kind of had to do it myself. And I just started researching the actual laws there. It, and I'll kind of go through that a little bit because it started with the Fair Housing Act about 50 years ago for housing. And, and it's still in place today. And that is for emotional support animals. And it can be any type of animal that if they help with a daily functioning for the client, they do have to have a diagnosis that's diagnosed. And then again, it helps with like sleep concentration or maybe interacting with others a little bit. You can have maybe anxiety there and a client, but it could be any diagnosis, but that started it. And then about um, 36 years ago, the airlines had a law that you could bring your, uh, and not at, at that time with it any animal, but it couldn't be an exotic animal, it had a pretty good stiff law. 
And, um, and then the Americans with Disabilities Act came out about 30 years ago. And that was kind of become the standard for disabilities and all of these to have an emotional support, or even psychiatrics, you are service dog, you are considered to have a, an emotional disability. So that's what the qualifying or the certifying is about, looking at the laws. So for like a psychiatric service, which the in just January this year, the airlines changed their regulation from emotional support animals to only psychiatric service dogs. So now if you have an emotional support animal, it's a pet basically going on the plane. So you put them in the carrier, they got to go fit under the seat and you pay money to take them on unless they now qualify, which the uh, Air Carriers Access Act, which is the law for airlines, they adopted the language from the Aid, Americans with Disabilities Act law, the ADA. So basically your dog, only dogs now have to be trained to do a task. And that's according to your diagnosis. So you can kind of hear as a clinician what you would need to do. There has to be a diagnosis. You have to be licensed to be able to, you know, diagnose. So you first they have to have that piece. And then you, I call it connect the dots between how the dog helps them with symptoms of their diagnosis. So let's say they have panic attacks or anxiety attacks. Mm -hmm. And sometimes animals are so in tune that they start to notice that the client's anxiety is actually starting to increase before they do. And mm -hmm. so the dog may come over to them, may paw at them, may lick them, get their attention in some way. And that kind of brings them back and they can notice that, oh, I am getting more anxious and it might start them on a new trail of what they've learned from their therapist to do when I start to have a panic attack. So they just help them to realize or then they respond, you know, the animal responds and that helps to alleviate that symptom or the anxiety. So that's kind of an example of it. Mm -hmm. So part of what I do with actually certifying, I go by the ADA law for the tasks they're trained to help with. And then I supply a letter that does have these laws in it. And I use the terminology basically from the laws in the letter that does state the certain things, because you do have to put certain things in the letter for that, for housing to to verify and to accommodate the client. So those are kind of some of the words in the law. Okay. All right. And are there any risks uh, that you're taking as the licensed therapist certifying somebody's dog? Do you meet the dog? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, everything's virtual nowadays, <laughs> but yes, I do. I, that's part of what I do when I do sessions to do a psychiatric service dog. Now, you know, now people are willing to get on Zoom or go to meeting I use. And so they're more used to before they wouldn't do any of this. So it was much harder, but now they do. And part of the ADA law 
then I go through this with the clients more about how to use a letter, what they can ask. And, um, and one of the things that they cannot ask anyone that has a psychiatrist, show me, show me how that the tasks that they're help you to perform or show me, you know, it right now, they cannot ask that. So part of what I do, which I feel like I cannot really ask to ask them perform, because think about it, if, if somebody's getting anxious, it's very hard to actually see them having a panic attack. And I hope as I talk to my clients, I'm not creating that kind of anxiety in them. Of course. <laughs> but what I do see is the relationship between the dog and the client. And it's so obvious that that dog is just very attentive. You'll just see them kind of looking at them, like wondering, okay, are they okay? Or you will see them come over sometimes when they talk about things, because I've got to, I got to find a diagnosis. So of course I'm eliciting some emotion. And a lot of times I will see it. And sometimes I even ask him if this is something that happened and it has to be consistently, this is a task that's consistently done they'll do a video mm. and they'll send it to me and they'll show me because they're kind of proud of this in a way, how their dog responds to this or how in tune they are. So they kind of really get into this a little bit and they're happy to really share. But most times I, I do insist that I do see the dog with them, even if I don't see the actual experience, but you can pretty much tell how in tune that that dog is with the client. Because I know I've had people that I didn't work with. I, I've written two letters, but they were specifically for clients that I'd worked with for a while. I had met their met and seen them with their animals. Um, but I've had other people that I've not worked with, you know, reach out and ask. They want to come in because that's what they're looking for. And I'm like... I don't know. I don't feel, I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel yeah. like knowledgeable enough to do that because I don't really know that client. Like with the clients that I've been working with, I know what mm -hmm. they've been going through and how the animal has improved their, the quality of their life. And, mm -hmm. you, you know, so I like that is an easy, yes, I, I will gladly support you in that. But for people that I yeah don't know um there's yeah, some hesitation and 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 you do have to feel comfortable and i think that's what i'm talking about understanding the log and i really didn't answer your last question about any liability or or whatever but i you know i do feel like this that our animals help us in so many different ways. And I think it got really proven this year with COVID, oh, how yeah. much they help in so many with isolation, depression, all these things. And the medical research is all there. And I feel like that, you know, I think the only thing that really would give somebody issues is with housing sometimes. There, there can be some particularly ornery, I'll call them, property managers um, in housing that really don't know the law, number one, and don't seem to care in a lot of ways what the law is. And, you know, they do have additional forms that they want you um, as a therapist to additionally sign, which is not needed by law, but they can ask for these things. So a lot of times what I do end up doing with some clients is educating them um, on the law, giving, I always give the law and really having empower them 
to understand mm-hmm. what to say and how to say it. And, and probably 99% of the time that will handle it by giving the property manager the law, understanding the client can make a complaint with HUD. And HUD is really pretty very helpful about the client standing behind them and protecting them. But it can feel very uneasy if you get something from a lawyer, possibly, about housing and what they're doing. And, you know, it's kind of like a um, threat. I don't know if that's the right word, but it feels intimidating. That's probably a better way to do it. And that's what I think you would extra feel extra uncomfortable with. But I've done this long enough now going on eight years it's a law. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. You, you do it or you don't kind of a thing. So I've become pretty comfortable with this. And I have had instances to have to um, talk to HUD with, with oh, complaints wow. and, and deal with them. And they've always been wonderful. So, you know, I don't know. Again, I think it's comfort level about that, getting to know your client, like you're saying, and understanding their need. But a lot of times these clients, again, I've seen over and over again, it, and to see the changes that can happen when they have an animal, it is just heartwarming. <laughs> oh, definitely. Um, I used to work at a practice where um, the therapist, she she did pet assisted therapy, um, play therapy specifically. And it was, it was always really cool to see the clients, you know, when they would, they would get light, just light up, you know, to see the dogs and, um, the difference, you know, between them coming in and leaving. Um, I know it, it does make a huge difference. Um, really does. And same in nursing homes. You've heard that in uh, hospitals, they'll have therapy dogs yes. come in and the, uh, and the residents are just waiting at the door for that dog they know is coming on Wednesday. It's a really important part of in that, you know, they don't, they are called therapy dogs. That's another class, but it, it's, it's, it's almost more important in some ways than some of the other therapies I feel like I do. I feel like, especially like with post-traumatic stress disorder, a lot of times we have a lot of veterans, you know, now that are returning and yeah. they're, they're, they're re-entry into their family or re-entry back into this world that is not of war or not of conflict can be really, really hard for them. And I just see sometimes a dog as a buffer And it's also a conversation piece. It just, it helps the family have another way to talk. And it's just not about their emotions or their feelings that, you know, it just lightens the whole mood and it just makes another way for them to communicate. I have found. Mm, I love that. Yeah. It's such a good point. Um, That transition is, is particularly challenging and difficult. Um, yeah, depending upon what they've been through. And you know, the other thing I think it provides, which I do see this a lot, like for panic attacks and other, but PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder as well. It's almost like a security blanket. It's almost like Mm. a reassurance that they can take with them into a store or rest or go someplace they were not going (laughs) unless they can take their dog. And I find that a lot with, uh, you know, clients with agoraphobia, same kind of thing. I'm not going to that store with crowds. I'm not doing it unless I can take my dog. So probably my um, 
you know, most of my clients do have agoraphobia, uh, mm -hmm. panic attacks or PTSD. And it just seems like that's why it's a game changer. They're willing to get out into, a, into life again because they feel reassured, reassured having that dog next to them. Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. They're, they're never alone. Um, they know that the dog, the dog always has their back. The dog is unconditional source of support and love. Um, and, you know, that, that, like, that is very reassuring if you're anxious about being in the world to have that, that level of support, which another human, I, I would say, probably couldn't replicate what a dog mm -mm. can do, you know? Mm -mm. Um, it is, it is really profound. And children too, you know, autistic children with autism, you know, I, and I hear that all the time and, you know, it's, and, and actually clients with dementia as well. There is something that helps agitation with animals. It just seemed to take them down a notch or a level when they start to get agitated and, and I don't know what to do. And it can just increase really quickly. And just redirecting them or usually they grab their dog and, or if the, the caregiver that, you know, is for, the, for the, the person with dementia, just send that dog over there. And it just seems like it's magic <laughs> to watch it happen so quickly to calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how it really stretches across the different, um, you know, neurological experiences that it's just, I think, you know, human, human nature, we are, we, we really are meant to live our lives with animals, I think, I think you so know, too. pets, uh, dogs and cats. And, it's... and it, I think so too. And I think that what you're getting towards that human nature, it's like animals are so instinctual. They're in tune with things that I think we're meant to be in tune with, but sometimes our head is too busy and we're moving too quickly and they aren't. Mm -hmm, and I think mm -hmm. they make us think twice and, and they're seeing something or smelling something, you know, with something in the environment that is anxiety producing for the person, but the person doesn't realize it, but the dog does. Mm -hmm, and that mm -hmm. brings them back to understanding what is the best thing to do next. Maybe it is just breathe or wait and it will pass or sit with that emotion. But I think they are reminders instinctually of what we can do to calm. Yeah, no, that's such a good point. Um, for, for therapists that, you know, they, they get asked about these questions are there resources that you would recommend that um, they could find additional information? I know you're, you have a particular website specifically for emotional support animals, esapros.com, and there's a lot of information there. Um, but any, any, I don't know, um, like associations or other kind of larger institutional resources where people could find greater information about this topic. I'm kind of ashamed as a social worker <laughs> to not have better resources to share with you, but they're scarce. Yeah, um, that's okay. 
I really don't know what to say to people. Uh, all I can say, you know, it to listeners out there, what the things that I have found most helpful in this eight years, because I feel like there is a lot of scams, scams. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel like there's a lot of misinformation. What I suggest is you can look on the internet, but call that that agency, that person and speak to a human <laughs> and make sure that they have your back. If you need an extra form that you're there for questions, you have, you can have, you will have continuing sessions or that you are their therapist because someplace, especially it was more with the emotional support animal. There was just these pop-up companies coming and going and you don't speak to anybody and they I feel like kind of rip people off and they gave you your certificate that goes on the wall that does a nothing and talked about registering with a national registry that there is no such thing. So I feel like it was a wow. marketing gimmick. And I just want to encourage people to talk to a professional, however you find them, you know, because people find me on Reddit, which I find really inter. I mean, a wow. lot of people. And they, and I don't even know how to find these reviews, but I get them all the time. And people say they checked on Reddit and I've got some kind of glowing reviews there. And so I do, I get phone calls and I get, you know, requests, but they talk to me and that's what I always, and I really say, good for you call, speak to, make sure, you know, they're a professional, that they're licensed and all those kinds of things, because I don't know. I, you know, I used to get a lot of on Facebook, oh, this is a scam. And because people have been ripped off, but they just not knowing the good questions to ask. So I would say, you know, just do your good homework and research. Yeah. And for therapists out there that like don't feel comfortable, you know, signing these letters or whatever, um, like writing that up for, uh, people that call in, um, would you say referring to somebody like yourself who specializes in mm. that kind of service is the way to go? Yes. If I knew of other people that do it, I, again, I, you know, with ESAs, there were emotional support and they were all over the place and it was easy and all that psychiatric service dogs now really are the bulk of this. And it is more particular and it, you, I feel like you do need to ask very specific things about, you know, the symptoms and the, and what the dog does and the, you know, the diagnosis. So, um, and like, I, have a letter, you know, it's so very specific about the laws and, you know, what to say. So I don't really know what to say to people. Um, you know, people, I have licensed in four states, Texas, California, Oregon, and Florida, and anybody in those states are happy to refer to me. And I, mm -hmm. or, you know, you're, and I even say to call me, to ask questions. I don't mind, you know, if they even want some help to do this. Mm. Um, you know, certification, I, I would be happy to, but I'm, I don't know that I can uh, give them the confidence to know exactly what to do, but I would be happy to help.
Yeah, no, that I think that's great information because I've had this conversation a lot with with other therapists the past couple of years of like, yeah. I'm getting a lot of calls about this and I don't know yeah. what to do and I don't feel comfortable and I don't yeah. know where to find the information. And that's why I was asking you, is there specific training? Like how, how can people learn more about this, especially if they do want to add that to their practice? Um, so that people are getting a you know a quality service that they're that it's sound that it's written up accurately the okay. way it should and and it allows them to access the services um and and uh what's i'm looking for the accommodations yes, that accommodation. that they need as a result of that document yeah because as G, I'm sure you know, <laughs> depression is increasing. I mean, just so quickly. We're not through this pandemic as much as we wish we we were and could be. It you know, it's raising its ugly head again. And I don't know about you, but I am seeing more post-traumatic stress disorder than ever. And I think it's being caused by the pandemic's isolation and the things that they're not haven't hadn't dealt with previously is now kind of coming to the surface and it's causing you know just more emotional stress and then the old memories tr are triggered and so dogs can just do so much for people i do encourage you know therapists to research it more and to do more because I do think it is another way for our clients to get that reassurance that they're just not finding another way like with medications is not for everyone but mm -hmm. I do feel like this is a treatment option yeah I, I think we have to honor where our clients are at and what our clients are asking for too and um, mm -hmm. you know if if having an animal can assist with their well-being then yeah, that's a, a really wonderful thing for them. Um, yeah, I'm definitely in support. I've seen some really positive things happen for clients that have had, um, you know, formally trained animals go through the, like the full animal service training and they went through training too, to be able to handle their dog and have their dog like complete all those tasks that you were talking about, <laughs> that that they it, it's a symbiotic relationship that that there's that person needed mm -hmm. to be trained um, as well as uh, the dog needing to be trained. You know, it's that's interesting. I I talked to a trainer um, a couple of weeks ago now, and we were talking about this because. I think this really, this law, most people think it's for medical reasons. That's where the, you know, the service dogs originally started with blindness, seizures, pulling a wheelchair. And that's what most people expect. And to see a client with a little chihuahua, you know, three pounder in their arms, they're like, how can that be, you know, a service dog? That's just not right. But what the trainer was saying to me, she goes, I can train your dog to behave, sit, stay, come, but I cannot train them to be in tune with you. Mm -hmm. I can train you how to reinforce the behaviors that you want when your dog does come over to you, put his head in your lap when you're starting to get anxious. And, you know, she's like, three to five seconds, pet your dog, good dog, good dog. 
and keep doing that as he does that or give him a treat, you know, and that will reinforce it. But I thought that was a really interesting kind of way to look at it because we do think about a trainer doing this training, but she's saying, you know, I can't train your dog to be in tune with you because that's the key here because some dog could just be off in left field and really could care less. <laughs> that's never going to be a psychiatric service dog. They must be in tune with you. And that it is mm -hmm. your symbiote. That's, that's a beautiful way to say it, a symbiotic relationship, but you've got to reinforce it so they do it consistently. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And it was a really effective, um, really effective for that person made like some major, some major transformation as a result of that animal. Um, and you know, something that I, I've, I've heard and, and I haven't really experienced it personally or anything, but a lot of people say that there, there are some training agencies out there that, you know, 6,000 to $25,000 um, to train a dog. And I think that would be the other thing that people might want to think twice about what are you actually looking for? I, and I, as I say to my clients, if I was blind and I wanted a dog to walk me across a, you know, a busy street, uh, absolutely. I think 25 or what, whatever you got to pay to keep you safe is what is needed. But this is a bit different to be in tune. And it's really more behaviorally trained that they listen, they understand or mm -hmm. do hand signals. And those kinds of things are not quite that same level of training, but mm -hmm. in tune, that is a totally different. And if you can find somebody, and that could be almost be any trainer that could teach you how to do that, or maybe even videos online that just help you to know how to consistently train your dog to be in tune with you in that sense when they do the things you want them to do. Yeah, I mean, if they're not, if they're not in tune, then they're not doing their job. So yep. we, we need them to be in tune. But there is that piece mm -hmm. of like the person with the that I think it goes back to what you were saying before about seeing, witnessing how the dog and the individual interact and how the dog responds to them when you're going through your assessment, talking about things that are of high emotional value, um, how they're interacting. Because if they're not interacting or the dog is aloof, then it's probably not a good fit. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, though, because, you know, taking them on a plane is a totally different situation than sitting in their house, you know, a lot of times when I'm yeah. talking to them. So there's a lot of pieces to that puzzle. And so, you know, you know, that's a piece I can't really certify. But uh, what I can say, you know, they can tell me is how they have helped them in the past or what happens when they do. And, and I'll say to some people, you before you ever you know, for maybe the first time, a lot of my clients have emotional support animals, they take on the plane, and they have been behavioral trained, and they understand this piece, but you need to take your dog in, a, in crowded places, <laughs> like in an airport and walk them around and see how they respond. Because if they're getting stressed, 
right. or upset or anxious just in those situations that is not going to work well. So that's another piece is how your dog does respond to this. And that's the piece I, I really can't, you know, I ask, are they behavioral trained and have you done that and all those kinds of things. And, and they, and they have most really no, understand that level of what they need to be able to do to do this. And I have a pre-qualification form too, for people that kind of helps them understand what this is before they even get to me. And gotcha. so they understand what has to happen and, you know, what they need to do. So most of my clients are responsible about this. Nice. That's great. Yeah. I always think about the distractibility factor, you know, some dogs are so easily distracted. Like, for example, um, my parents had a beagle for the longest time and she is a sweet dog and in the home, extraordinarily attentive and affectionate and you know just like her name was shadow because she really like followed you around all the time she was always but as soon as you went outside that was not the case that that she she was like so distractible and um and then easily like if she got off her leash would take off and you couldn't get her back because she just wanted to go sniffing out squirrels or like, mm -hmm. you know, doing what, doing what those dogs were bred to do, you know, so mm -hmm. she, she wouldn't have made such a great <laughs> support you know, dog in an outer environment. Now, but that could be trained mm -hmm. with a trainer, that distractibility. Because that, you know, that can be part of behavioral training. Cause I know when I took my little dog through it, you know, they're saying that dog should be looking at you all the time. What do you want me to do next? All right, tell me what to do. So, you know, maybe that piece could have been trained, but you're right. I think some dogs are, um, they're not interested. <laughs> you know, they just don't have it in their heart, maybe <laughs> to be able to do that for you. And it is kind of hard to um, expect that if they don't have it. Mm -hmm. little hearts <laughs> yeah yeah she was she was just you know enjoying herself she just got so excited to be outside and you know wanted to explore um so yeah knowing knowing your dog is really important i think in figuring out if they're the right dog to be the emotional support piece um yeah. You know, and the other piece to that, sometimes they do the opposite. They know they have a job and then they get out in the airport and they are just like proud, you know, and I am doing my work. You know, <laughs> so you can also kind of almost of the opposite sometimes. So yeah, you need to test your dog out and see what, how they're going to react because absolutely some of them really take it very seriously. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I have seen that as well. And have you seen there are some airports where they have um, they have dogs that mm -hmm. are just like wandering. They're not wandering around. They're with a handler, but mm -hmm. they are there to like help people cope with the distress of being in the airport environment. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, 15 airports is a, as the last recording that I saw that they just walk around with a handler because research shows that an animal will calm the, the whole environment that they're in. So there is something to the science of this that they have found so that they, especially Christmas or the rush hour, you know, rush times of the year, that they actually calm the environment. And actually, I'm, I'm wondering, this is my wondering about not having having emotional support animals on the planes, you know, anymore, just starting the beginning of the year and the increase in rowdy uh, uh, customers, because yeah. it, the animal calms the environment in that plane. And now less people are taking their animals because they stopped that. I really wonder if that's not part of the problem. And I'm wondering also the people that want to get out the door or, you know, kind of going a little nuts. I think they're having panic attacks and they, you know, how you just want to get out of there and they act like they might be, you know, trying to hurt other people. But I think they're just having a horrible experience and, and have that feeling like they have to run maybe a PTSD response. And that's what we're having more of maybe because we don't have animals on the flights anymore. Airlines, you might want to think about having a therapy dog on some planes and see if there's a difference. <laughs> that would be a very interesting piece of research. Um, and I, I agree with what you're saying because some I have seen people and there's like an intensity of energy in their in their body in in the the tension that they're carrying in their body to like hurry up and get out and almost push people out of the way um if they're not moving out you know disparking disparking is that the word disembarking the plane or whatever it is um fast enough we're talking about dogs though so that was a good pun <laughs> barking <laughs> but yeah that mm. that they're that they might be experiencing some really high level anxiety and and possible panic like symptoms um and that could be assisted with um, some additional supports on, on the plane for sure. Wow. Mm -hmm. For people that don't have an animal and maybe they're allergic, maybe it's something that it's just not, um, they're not able to have an animal, but they need a go-to technique. I know you have some go-to techniques that are accessible to anybody without specialized training. Um, what would you recommend for people? Well, my favorite one I've been studying this last year is the vagus nerve. And there's a vagus nerve breathing, or some of the Netherlands scientists that found out this, they called it the four and eight breathing that will stimulate the vagus nerve, which runs all the way from our gut to our brain. And when stimulated, it sends a calming chemical into your system, acetylcholine. And the four and eight breathing can be done anywhere, anytime. And what they found, if you can do it for about two minutes, all it is is breathing in through your nose to the count of four and breathing out through your mouth to the count of eight and doing it for two minutes and doing this now I do it with every single client 
every single day. And I watch, cause now we, you know, really just watch the shoulders go down and you watch them kind of melt as they do this. So there's an immediately calming uh, reaction from the acetylcholine going into your system. And it can, I found that even clients are telling me calms panic attacks so that mm -hmm. they don't go you're into a full-blown panic, like when they're driving or riding and it can really take it down very quickly. And on my website, anxietysimplified.net, right now I actually do have a, um, a, a free you know, worksheet that is three steps to conquer panic attacks that has a link to the vagus breathing demonstrated. And so in all the research on it, I go through like, you know, all of, I mean, there's so much good research on, on this. So yeah. I would say practice this breathing daily because it is the simplest thing in, for sleep also. You can do this for sleep and count the one, two, three, four, not out loud, but in your head. And it'll kind of refocus your thoughts on the counting instead of all the stuff going on in your head. And then the breathing itself will calm you. So I found it's one of the best techniques that immediately can calm you. I love that. And I think, you know, as therapists, we all like love going to breathing, but especially when you can tie it back to the actual literature that really connects with the neuroscience of why this is an effective treatment protocol um, is really helpful because so many clients are like, I've tried breathing, it doesn't work. <laughs> right. or, or I like the one, well, you know, and that, well, I do this breathing that has four in, you hold it for 16 counts, then you hold out and then you hold it again and then you breathe in and then you, and, and I'm like, all right, if it works, this one just is four in, eight out. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Four in, don't complicate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it works and it works awesome. immediately. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. So if listeners want to um, check out that download, uh, you should head over to Joanne's website, which is anxietysimplified.net. And, and you can get that and see a link to the video, which might be a great resource for you to share with your clients too. And Absolutely. yeah, and then um, if people want to learn more about what you do with the emotional service animals, they can head over to esapros.com, which has a lot of information on that work that you do. Um, yeah, is there anywhere else that uh, folks can find you? <laughs> well, <laughs> as it just happens this week, I'm on Roku TV and Apple Fire too. And it's kind wow. of cool. And, um, and, and I don't think I gave you that link, but it's pretty cool in the sense if you go to that Roku app and it's on Raven International tv channel so raven like the bird mm -hmm. and that's what kind of comes up a red and you'll see a glow with raven in it and just look right down below and you'll see some videos and there it is and i'm joanne williams anxiety simplified and i'm actually going through the three-step system that i was talking about you can see the how to conquer a panic attack on the website so i'm kind of talking that through on this month's uh roku or our, our Amazon Fire. So I'm on there as well that you can find it that on the live so TV cool. too. That is so cool. Can I ask, how did that 
come about. I love that that um, that they're doing that just because it becomes such a great resource for people. Mm. We all need extra help, right? And not everybody can, not everybody is in therapy, but they still need some support. So the right. fact that you're out there so visibly on, like on the television, that's amazing. Well, it is. And I think more of us therapists need to do this or more podcasters. And I'll tell you, there's going to be a, a, a webinar coming up on the 31st for Raven uh, International TV. And you can go to from F-R-O-M podcast and then the number two TV.com. So it's from podcast, the number two and then TV.com. And that's how you can do it. And it's amazing. This agency Raven International that is doing this with this brilliant woman who comes up with these ideas all the time. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> it's really nice to see other resources that we can do. And you'll see other um, therapists on there as well that that's what they're doing now to get more it. of their information out there i know you can have a book <laughs> a compilation book and you know that again that's my chapter i'm i'm staying right now with three ways to conquer panic attacks and yeah so there's multiple ways that you can get your message out there easily <sighs> Fabulous. Well, this is such a great resource and I'm going to put that link um, to that information in the show notes as well. Um, but I so have appreciated our conversation today and so thankful for you making the time to speak with me. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to. Really nice to be here. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joanne Williams. I know I learned a lot um, about the, the work that goes into um, helping people establish an emotional support animal or a psychiatric service animal um, that I did not know before having this conversation with Joanne. So I hope that it, um, it helps you in your work as well. If you find that you are ready to take that next step in uh, bringing to life uh, some aspect of um, a product, a service, a practice, um, and, and you're struggling in, in the, you know, uh, getting the overwhelm uh, sorted out, which can easily happen when we're trying to bring something to life, um, I'd love to support you in that journey and, um, and help you gain clarity and uh, organize a, an approach to bringing it to life um, where you have a system or um, a, uh, you know, a scaffolded uh, list of things that you can do to get it going. Um, if that sounds like it would be helpful to you, um, head on over to the website, creativeclinicianscorner.com. There you can click on the lab page and uh, I have um, on there creative consultations. And you can see if um, you know that service might be right for you and you can book either a single or, um, or we have some packages and yeah. I look forward to talking to you real soon and uh, sharing a, a new episode next week. Take care, guys.
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.